Hello, and welcome back to Cape Corner, where we explore the history, story, and cultural impact of a different character or group every episode. I'm Blue, and I'll be your host as we take this journey together. Last week, I talked about the sworn enemy of the hand, the Iron Fist, but today I'll transition from that into the sworn enemy, or should I say, enemies of the foot, a group that originally started off as a parody of the hand. For indeed, this entire series started as a parody, and became one of the greatest comics and cartoon properties of the 80s and 90s, which endures to this day. They're mean and green. They kick some serious shell, and they're always down for a good fight, followed up by copious amounts of pizza to celebrate. Today, we'll talk about four incredible wonders of genetic augmentation. One leads, one does machines, one is cool but rude, and one is a party dude. Today, we talk about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Eastman and Laird, a pair of names that would forever change the face of Western fiction in the 80s, bringing absurdity and parody into popularity, long before the rise of figures like Deadpool. Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird were spending a casual evening together in 1984, brainstorming and mostly just chilling out and watching bad TV. Eastman sketched a humorous drawing of four large humanoid turtles with ninja weaponry, just for laughs. From there, they would use money from a tax refund, as well as a loan from Eastman's uncle, to self-publish a single-issue comic meant to parody some of the most popular properties at the time, like Daredevil, New Mutants, Cerberus, and Ronin. The comic was published by Mirage Studios, and actually saw the Turtles' main archenemy, the Shredder, killed in the single issue, never meant to return. Kind of similar to the original plans for the Joker in that way. The TMNT would begin to rise towards the mainstream when a licensing agent, Mark Friedman, sought out Eastman and Laird to propose wider merchandising opportunities. They began selling figurines and action figures of the characters, before moving on to begin the development of the 80s cartoon. While the original comic uh, had the turtles in black and white, as the entire thing was a black and white comic, a la Sin City, uh, and it would later explain that they all wore matching red bandana masks, as well as delivering a very dark and morbid tone, like a, like a sort of a thriller noir, uh, the cartoon would change things to be more kid-friendly lighthearted, and give the four brothers unique colors and individual personalities more clearly defined. Because, for the most part, uh, in the original comic, they were all just, uh, we've gotta, we've gotta, uh, kill this enemy, brother. Oh, uh, yeah, you're right, brother. They were all very gritty, you know. It, it, it was the, it was the character that they were poking fun at, that they were portraying. The overly gritty, um, action hero sort of thing. Uh, now, this episode will be a bit more scattershot because there is a multiverse of the Turtles with different interpretations of characters, events, and details. It's usually tied together by a few constants. Um, I'll try my best to keep things sorted by continuity as I talk about the series. Um, I might bounce back and forth, randomly pop in little, well, in this version, this is actually what happened. I'll, I'll do my best, but please bear with me. Uh, to help 
Um, I will mostly cover facets from the 80s cartoon and the 2003 series, as well as like the live-action movies of the 90s. See, the 2003 series is my personal main point of reference, and it's a fantastic series. The best, in my stellar opinion. Uh, but it also has a lot of commonalities with the original comic, so whenever I'm talking about the 2003 series, a lot of what I say applies to the original canon. So this will mainly be split into 80s kid-friendly camp version or more serious canon. The meat and potatoes of their origin is like this. There's a corporation called the Techno-Cosmic Research Institute, or TCRI. Uh, there's another version where it's TGRI, but it's just one of those different things. Um, this company would use alien technology it discovered, or in some versions, uh, pro uh, pioneered, uh, due to shenanigans that I may or may not touch on later. Um, but it would use this technology and these chemicals to create an advanced mutagenic formula. <coughs> Pardon me. One where any living being exposed to it would take on properties of the last creature it touched, forming a sort of hybrid. A truck hauling canisters of the mutagen was driving through the street when it swerved to avoid a boy walking in the road. The boy had a small tank, like a, a terrarium, with four baby turtles he had just bought as pets, all of which he had touched previously. In the shock of almost being hit by the vehicle, he dropped the tank and it shattered, sending the four turtles falling into the sewer, with a canister of the mutagenic ooze flying out of the back of the truck and breaking atop them. In the sewer, there was a rat, who was previously the pet of one of the greatest martial arts masters in the world, Hamato Yoshi. Yoshi was a staunch enemy of the Foot Clan, and he was murdered by their leader, the Shredder. Prior to his demise, the rat had watched Yoshi practice martial arts every day, and while its rodent brain couldn't fully comprehend them, it did memorize the patterns of movement. The rat would see the four turtles covered in ooze, and take on a sort of parental role to protect them. In a matter of days, the five creatures grew larger, becoming more human-like, standing on their hind legs, and developing intelligence. The rat decided to name himself Splinter, and he was now gifted with the intellect to put his martial arts knowledge to good use. Splinter raised the four turtle brothers as his own sons training them in the art of ninjutsu and stealth, and used a book he found in the sewer about Renaissance artists to give them names. Leonardo would become the leader of the team. He wears a blue mask and uses twin... Everyone and everything calls them katanas, but they're not. They're ninjatos. They're straight blades as opposed to curved. Uh, regardless, he uses two swords. <clears throat> He is fiercely loyal to Splinter, he has a dedication to perfecting the art of ninjutsu, and he has a need for recognition and validation. He does have a darker anger to him that pops up every once in a while, and it often causes him to clash with Raphael. Raph wears red, 
and uses twin size. Short-range stabbing weapons, especially well-suited to breaking and shattering blades. Derived from garden tools. Fun fact, ninja in the real world actually stemmed from farmers who were oppressed by the samurai, so they used whatever they had on hand as weapons. The original reason they're so renowned for stealth and deception is because they had to get tricky because their weaponry was just not well suited. It wasn't it wasn't as strong as what the samurai had. It wasn't as effective. So they had to get clever, making things from from black eggs which when you throw them, they were full of shrapnel or pepper, or, uh, yeah, using their gardening tools and clever ways to create new kinds of weapons. Um, yeah, so, uh, Raphael is brash, hot-headed, all about muscle and action, and he has a strong rebellious streak. He detests Leo's constant need to impress Splinter or ask for permission to do things, and his holier-than-thou attitude, since Leo is kind of the best fighter of the group, so a lot of times he criticizes his brothers. So in turn, Leo hates how Raph constantly ignores his orders or purposefully makes things worse just because he doesn't want Leo getting credit. He doesn't like to follow Leo's plan because he doesn't like being told what to do by the Boy Scout, so the two often have to be separated and calmed down by their other brothers. Michelangelo is the fun-loving, immature bro of the bunch. He likes comic books, superheroes, skateboarding, pizza, and gets the most excited about all the cool, crazy shit they see on their adventures. He, he is definitely... Uh, if... If Leo is the one that embodies the ninja of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mikey is the one that embodies the teenage part the most. Um, he wears an orange mask and uses twin nunchaku, or nunchucks. He can be a bit more cowardly than the others, but sometimes that actually offers a voice of reason when the group is in over their heads, since the competitive Leo and Raph would rush in headfirst to try and one-up each other, and the fourth bro would be too intrigued and curious by what's going on, were it not for Mikey's ability to snap them back to reality um, with a simple dose of, oh my god guys, we need to get out of here. <laughs> uh, speaking of the fourth brother, that is Donatello who wears a purple mask and uses a bow staff, a simple weapon with reach and versatility. Donnie is a genius, a true mechanical savant, and is single-handedly responsible for the family having a fantastic standard of living despite being stuck in a sewer. <clears throat> Seriously, the guy is like MacGyver on steroids. He takes random garbage and turns it into a device that can pirate TV signals, or a microwave for food, or whatever. He manages to take a crappy old husk of a truck and turns it into a bonafide tank on wheels, equipped with missiles, trackers, radio transceivers, net cannons, jet boosters, all sorts of stuff. It's like, it's like a big, ugly green version of the Batmobile. Anytime they're in a situation where skill and strength isn't doing the job, they can count on Donatello to offer an alternative solution. The Turtles would be exposed to the surface world thanks largely to their encounter with April O'Neil. Many know her as an intrepid reporter in a sexy, figure-hugging yellow jumpsuit with a zipper 
pulled far enough down for copious amounts of cleavage. <clears throat> and you know what, that version is valid. <laughs> uh, but in the 2003 series, and in the comics, she's actually a former lab assistant to Baxter Stockman, who is a mad genius scientist. <clears throat> Stockman works under the foot, often advancing Shredder's technological capabilities, such as stealth units for his army, or even fully robotic ninjas. April becomes a confidant for the Turtles, often helping them in any way she can on their missions. She may not be a ninja, she may not have crazy fighting capabilities, but she is a human, and that means she can more easily get into places that they can't. Um, they would also encounter the vigilante, Casey Jones, who has a beef with the Purple Dragons, which is a gang that itself has ties to the foot. Jones wears a hockey mask and uses a golf bag on his back to carry in sports equipment like baseball bats, hockey sticks, and golf clubs to use as weapons. These allies would work together with the Turtles in order to take on the Shredder and his Foot Clan, who sort of ties all of these factions together. And here is where I will begin to touch on some of the differences in the stories in more detail. For starters, in the 80s cartoon, Splinter is Hamato Yoshi, who turned into a rat, rather than Yoshi's pet rat, who turned humanoid. Baxter Stockman was turned into a white guy, who would later become genetically spliced with a fly, rather than a black guy, who Shredder gradually dismantles over the course of the series as punishment for repeated failures, to become more and more cybernetic as time goes on. Perhaps the biggest difference is the origin of Shredder, and the identity of a related alien being. You see, in the 80s cartoon, Shredder is a man. An imposing man, with sharp samurai-inspired armor, and a claw weapon mounted to the back of his hand, but a man nonetheless. He is allied with Krang, a strange, slug-like pink alien from Dimension X, who often makes up for his limited size and mobility by wearing a human-shaped exosuit, which he pilots from the stomach area. However, in the original canon of the series, the slug-like alien is the Shredder. Shredder, or his real name, Chirel, is from an alien race called the Utrams, and it is their technology that the TCRI used to create the mutagenic ooze to begin with. Shredder was the galaxy's most wanted criminal, and the Utrams banished him into deep space. He would land in feudal Japan, where he would discover Orokusaki, a feared warlord known as the Shredder. It would later turn out that Orokusaki also stole the name, so we'll get there when we get there. But uh, adopting Orokusaki's identity and creating an exosuit body to mimic him the Utram known as Trell would continue Orokusaki's warlord legacy long after the real one's demise, building an empire off of the back of the original Foot Clan that would endure into the modern day. As a result of the vast majority of his body being robotic, this iteration of the Shredder is much more imposing than his human counterpart, functioning much like a Terminator in terms of terrifying feats of invulnerability walking through fire, 
tanking bullets and blades, and performing ridiculous feats of superhuman strength. Because for most people, if the Shredder appears, your only hope is escape, and even then it's pretty much hopeless. Because while he may take his time coming to you, his army of ninjas won't allow you to get far. In the 80s cartoon, Shredder uses the ooze to create a duo of mutants for his own purposes. A pair of human criminals known as Bebop and Rocksteady are exposed to the ooze after contacting a warthog and a rhino, respectively. They have a penchant for heavy weaponry and mostly use their new bodies for the enhanced strength and durability to just go nuts and get extremely reckless with their black market technology, proving to be a legitimate danger for the Turtles even if they aren't as skilled. In the 1990 movie, they create similar beings known as Toka and Razar from an alligator snapping turtle and the Great Wolf. Uh, unlike Bebop and Rocksteady, however, these two do very little more than growl and attack, so they really don't have the personality or memorability of their predecessor duo. Definitely don't have the striking visual design. Uh, Bebop has a has a pink mohawk, <laughs> uh, and it's just and their their entire look is. It's very iconic, to the point where the, I want to say, 2018 movie, uh, Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows, was like, we gotta get Bebop and Rocksteady in here, <clears throat> uh, in an effort to help legitimize the franchise. Uh, Shredder also has a daughter, a girl he adopted and saved from poverty, known as Karai. Karai is an interesting character, because her devout loyalty to her father is only equaled by her intense code of honor, which are very conflicting forces. She often fails to defeat the turtles because the methods used to get there were scheming and dishonorable, uh, and she doesn't want victory in that way. She's forced to reconcile with the fact that her father is truly evil, and he has no care for things like fair fights or respect for your opponent. Ultimately, this leads her to be split between Shredder and Leonardo, who she regularly battles and admires for his own code of ethics. She becomes a sort of anti-hero ally, and when Shredder eventually falls, she takes up the mantle of the Shredder, leading the Foot Clan in a new era of honor. But if you thought the Turtles' adventures were limited to Earth, you'd be wrong. They also get sent to deep space, where they become embroiled in a war between the alien factions of the Triceratons, which are a race of bipedal Triceratops, and the Federation, a militaristic group of human-looking aliens. I don't know what it is about some of these alien species that they always turn out exactly like humans. Kryptonians are the same thing. Uh, Viltrumites <laughs> from Invincible. Like, it just seems like a bunch of aliens wind up becoming humans, and while that might be a commentary on humanity being the ultimate endpoint of evolution, we're dumb, so I doubt that that's actually the case. Uh, the two factions of the Triceratons and the Federation are after Professor Honeycutt, a scientist who wound up with his mind inside the body of a robot due to shenanigans. The Professor developed plans for a teleportal, which would give an entire platoon of an army 
the ability to warp in anywhere in the known universe. Obviously, the ability to suddenly have a squad drop in on your enemy during, like, bath time or whatever is invaluable, so the turtles find themselves protecting the professor from two ravenous and bloodthirsty forces. They want to stop at nothing to get that professor and get that teleportal so that they can beat the other side. As a fun aside, the Triceratons are actually Mirage's comics' oldest creation, predating the TMNT. They're almost something of like a mascot figure for them. All of these stories are fun and intense in their own right, but my personal favorite com uh, comes from Turtles Forever, a direct-to-video movie. In this story, the main characters are the Turtles from the 2003 series, who have already been on incredible journeys. They've toppled the Shredder, discovered his identity as Shrell, the evil Utram criminal, banished him to an icy comet deep in space, and negotiated a ceasefire with Karai. They've ended the war between the Triceratons and the Federation, and discovered that the original Orokusaki took the identity of the Shredder from an actual demonic entity, the Tengu Shredder, who they defeated by transforming into dragons. Yes, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles turned into dragons, and it was actually fucking awesome. Then they traveled into the future and gained laser versions of their weapons before eventually returning to their own time and defeating a third incarnation of the Shredder, a virus in cyberspace known as the Cyber Shredder. And if you think they did it by hacking a computer, no, they did a full Tron thing, went into cyberspace physically, and battled him. Um, the story has them thinking they've seen it all. Until, over in the 80s Turtle World, a battle with Krang's dimension-hopping technology and Shredder's fortress known as the Technodrome causes an accident occur, and the much more kid-friendly, catchphrase-equipped Turtles wind up meeting their 2003 counterparts. It's funny, because Mikey actually really winds up liking them, because, you know, they're cracking jokes, and they're looking into dead space to, you know, look directly into the camera and make comments at the audience, which confuses the more grounded 2003 characters, and Mikey just thinks they're great, uh, and it it's not until, like, Splinter is in danger, and they keep just making wisecracks and making weird puns and acting like goofy kids cartoon characters that Mikey finally snaps and is like, okay, you guys are joking way too much, I like a good time, you need to get serious. Um... Hun, the leader of the Purple Dragons, and former goon for Shredder, the Utram one, I know, it's hard to keep track now, winds up getting splashed with the ooze during a battle with his hated enemies, the Turtles, causing himself to become a turtle hybrid, infuriating him. Krang and the human Shredder manage to track Tyrell with the help of Karai and return him to Earth with a brand new armored body to inhabit. Human Shredder was thinking, hey, there's two teams of turtles, maybe two shredders teaming up, we'll be able to take them out. Things don't quite go to his plan. See, at this point, Chirell is rightfully pissed. Tengu Shredder, Cyber Shredder, Human Shredder, who's kind of a pussy because this is a lot more gritty than his usual 80s Saturday morning cartoon hijinks. No, Chirell is out to prove that he is the one true shredder. 
So he decides to go to the source of all of their realities and kill the original turtles. So that, in turn, that would kill every Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle in every alternative story or timeline. The eight turtles follow him into the black and white Eastman and Laird comic and have a climactic showdown also involving the four original turtles as well. It's nuts. I love it. I highly recommend you check it out. In terms of cultural impact, the turtles were unstoppable juggernauts in the nerd culture of the 80s to 2000s, and they still have a strong following today. They've had four animated series, as well as a live-action series where they introduced a fifth turtle named Venus de Milo. Venus wore an aqua or cyan-colored mask, which is braided in the back to look like a ponytail, and she uses... uh... magic, mostly. Though, thanks to an action figure, she is also associated with Tessin, or Warfans, as her signature weapon. And if you don't know what Warfans are, uh, the Warriors of Kyoshi in Avatar The Last Airbender, or Katana from uh, Mortal Kombat, they use Warfans. Um, metal fans that can be used as projectiles or slicing weapons, basically. Um, the Turtles also had a trilogy of live-action movies in the 90s, followed by a 2007 CGI movie. Then there were the two Michael Bay movies in the 2010s, which were... They were Michael Bay movies. Ugh. There have also been several stage tours, including a bizarre music tour where the Turtles have their own band? Like, each one plays an instrument and they would sing songs live on stage. That's how insanely popular they were. Now, I could probably sit here and talk about the Turtles all day, but I have to wrap things up. I will say this, though. The boy who touched the turtles, who was going to have them as pets, and almost got hit by the truck, he's actually supposed to be an alternate universe version of another character who had a similar origin. See, the main iteration of that boy had no turtles, and the ooze flying out of the back of the truck splashed into his eyes when the truck swerved, leading him down a much darker path, both figuratively and literally. I'll talk about him next week. So, look forward to that. Please give the episode a like and a comment. And follow me on whatever platform you're listening on. Check out my Patreon page. Maybe toss a dollar or two my way. It really helps out. Join the Discord, where I post updates and ask for episode suggestions, as well as engage with the community of listeners. Until next time, stay strong, stay true to yourself, and remember... We can all be heroes.